0: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And we have someone uh, amazing for you in the mortgage industry. And we'd love to tell you about how, how that affects you and your choices for buying a home and investing in real estate. Jennifer, what are we drinking today?
1: So today we have Saturday Night Red. It looks, it looks like a fun red uh, blend. The slogan is make every night a Saturday night.
0: Mm. <laughs> Let's try that out. Huh. I'm going to call this one a casual red. <laughs> because there's a picnic table on the label.
1: Or because it's heavy on the, the grape juice.
0: <laughs> Is that Welch's in there?
1: <laughs> there. There.
0: Larry Cox is a graduate of Southern Methodist University, where he earned his degree in business administration while playing football in the early 1980s. He's been with Republic State Mortgage for the past 10 years. He's been in the mortgage industry for a total of 24 years and counting. Larry and his wife live in Franklin, Tennessee, and spend most of their free time doting on their awesome five-year-old grandson. Larry Cox, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Man, where are you from? Tell us about that.
2: Well, I am. Uh, I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, but when I was a wee small child, if you can ever imagine me being wee and small, <laughs> I uh, moved with the family, you know, my mom and dad, I'm an only child, uh, we moved out to Dallas, Texas. Uh, my father was in the apparel business back even in those days and uh, was in that pretty much most of his life up to the last 10 years or so, actually worked with me in the mortgage business. Uh, but we moved out to Dallas when I was uh, going entering the seventh grade. So I did uh, middle school, high school, and college in, uh, in the Dallas Metroplex. So, That's a big town now. It's crazy. My wife actually is driving through there here in about two or three hours. Well, she should already be through Dallas. She's coming back from Austin. We have a daughter in Austin. Okay. So she went down for the last couple of days to take her some baby gear because our <laughs> daughter is expecting her first child and oh, uh, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, well, thank you and uh, I've already got one grandson five-year-old he uh, he's just the apple of my eye as they say
3: uh, but
2: yeah Wendy's driving back and, and she drove down a few days ago and called me going through Dallas she said you wouldn't recognize it you know just <laughs> nothing is this. we both went to SMU uh-huh. that's where we met oh, at, wow. in, in college and uh, she said you just wouldn't believe the growth in the area Yeah. Nashville's big enough for me. I don't. I don't. Want, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that. I'm pretty happy here. We've been here thirty years, and uh, well,
1: this is almost home, then, really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can almost call myself a Tennessean, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not quite. So the
0: apparel industry is what brought you here.
2: It, it is. Like I uh, mentioned, my dad was in the apparel business in Texas, and uh, they were a marketing company. They oh. they basically they had designers they would design the clothing, and then we would contract it out to uh, factories here in the United States. In, in those days, there was still was a lot of manufacturing here in the United States. So mm-hmm. uh, the designers would would come up with the concepts and, and you know they would do a line of clothing. That's, that's what it was all about. And uh, then they would contract it out and we had some factories in Tennessee that were working uh, at first for us, as uh, or for my dad, uh, doing the cut and sew that we talked about a little while ago mm-hmm. off air. Um, and what, what they basically wound up with was a really good sales force a really good marketing and design department and a very weak manufacturing uh, base uh-huh. they could get orders they could make sales but they couldn't deliver okay so if you're not delivering you're not getting paid uh-uh. so my father and his partner sat down uh, over wine or something one night <laughs> and they literally Said one of us has to go to Tennessee and get these factories in shape, because we're losing our fannies and not making orders, and you know orders are getting canceled. <clears throat> Neither one of them keep in mind were uh, production people; they were salespeople <laughs> and marketing people. Mm-hmm. But they flipped a coin, and my dad lost. <laughs> <laughs> so in like 1989, uh, excuse me, 1979. Goodness gracious! Uh, right as I was coming out of high school. He moved to Tennessee, and he was splitting his time back and forth between the factories and home,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and I was at SMU playing football, and he would come in on, you know, to watch the games, and then he'd go back, come back to Tennessee. So, fast forward, uh, I graduate, finally, SMU, <laughs> 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 met, my, uh, met my wife there, Wendy, and uh, she was from Kentucky, and even at the time, I was sort of ready for something different. I was ready to get out of Dallas, and we were ready to get married. Uh, we dated for about three years through a lot of school and so uh, I had an opportunity to get into the car business back in the Carolinas back to Greensboro Uh, family connections and and I always sort of been fascinated with the car business and uh, they promised me a fast track into management and the F&I office and all this good stuff so I was like yeah let's let's just go do that well she was heartbroken she loved Dallas I mean my wife loved Dallas being from a small farm town in Kentucky, and man, the big city just suited her real well. And I was tired of the big city. So, so we moved back to the Carolinas. I get in the car business, and we have a, a really good run for about three and a half, four years. And one thing led to another, and, and the car business will do, one, will do one thing, if nothing else, it will burn you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hours are, are horrendous. And I started looking around at, at some of these guys that are, you know, I, I called them the old guys. Well, I'm I'm now the, one of the old guys. Uh, but back then, I was in my, you know, mid-20s, and I'm looking at these guys in their, you know, late 40s and 50s, and they're, you know, they were all drinking a lot. They were smoking cigarettes, and they all seemed pretty miserable, making really good money, but just really miserable. And talking about, well, you know, so-and-so's got his soccer game today, but I'm here working. You know, I'd rather be at so- – and I just – I analyzed it. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be – at that stage in life and missing out on my kid growing up going to the soccer games and the events. so nothing wrong with the car business it's a great way to make a living it used to be a lot of fun they they tell me it's not as much fun anymore mm-hmm. but anyway i uh, my dad had uh, stayed in tennessee and had uh, the company the sales and marketing company had failed but the factories were going great he kind of flipped the, 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 the script, and when he left the sales and marketing and took over the factories, um, the factories were doing fine. So he, And we were just taking in work from all over, and he's like, you got to come do this. I, said, I hate the apparel business. You know, when you grow up around your parents and what they do, you don't necessarily want to. Sometimes you do want to do that. Sometimes you just don't want to do it. Well, I didn't want to do it. But I also was tired of the car business. So he badgered me.
3: <laughs> for about six, months, about
2: six months, and then got me to come uh, to Tennessee. So that's how we got here. Um, and then I think one of the questions you, you had asked me was, you know, uh, how did I get in the mortgage business? Well, I was in the apparel business from, let's say, 1990 till about 1995, and I had my own factory. We were making sweatshirts for Champion and Nike mm-hmm. and Russell Athletic. And Those literally nice yeah they were factory. they were nice they had the little V thing you know they were really nice gusset shirts big heavy sweater we were making but uh, button up baseball shirts I oh, yeah. um, had had pretty good little thing going and I had a partner and it was similar to the the deal my dad had was with his partner years ago I was a sales and marketing guy my partner was a strictly a factory guy so when sometime in 95 um, the uh, the folks from Nike came in, and we were real close with the guy who was placing the work with us, and he said, guys, i got some bad news. We're like, well, what is it? And we were doing a lot of work for them. They were more or less our biggest customer. He said, the shirt, we pay you $20 a dozen, which is how they price things in the, the garment business, by the dozen, we're paying you $20 to put together a dozen sweatshirts. That's how you get paid. So said, we're getting that done for $12 in Mexico. You can uh, either match the twelve dollar price and keep the contracts, or it's going to Mexico. That was Ross Perot's giant sucking mm-hmm. sound of the manufacturing jobs leaving the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I see. You know, obviously we can't do that, or we'd already done it. You know, we would not charge twenty if we could get by <laughs> on twelve. You know, we just right. Right. we can't do that. So I sat down with my partner and I said, uh, "Here's here's where we are. I'm a sales and, and marketing guy and." can do other things. You're a sewing machine guy. You're factory. That's all you've done. It's your whole life. Mm-hmm. I said, I think one of us needs to go. And I volunteer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to do it to begin with. Because I didn't want to do it to begin <laughs> with. So, so uh, I said, I'll, I'll tell you, here's the, I'm going to cut you a heck of a deal, Jeff. That's his name. I said, I'm going to give you all my equity, all the sewing machines, the building, the land. I'm going to just give it all to you. But you also have to take the banknote and debt. <laughs> we were upside down in all of it. But he, you know what? For him, it was an okay deal. Because uh, he actually survived about, I think, four more years in the business. But then eventually, uh, overseas competition just, just wiped us all out. Uh, my dad's side of the company didn't last as long as we did. And they had 700 sewing machines running in five different plants. And they were making little uh, jeans and stuff for Walmart and, and JCPenney and Target and these people. Um, the, all their business did the same thing. And so he actually uh, shut his factories down before I walked out and left mine. So, it mm-hmm. uh, but it was a dark time. Um, yeah. But luckily, uh, you know, when you're in dark times, you start reaching out for people mm-hmm. to talk to. And, and uh, an old friend of mine called me from The carolinas that we had worked together in the car business and he said uh hey what's going on i said "Uh, well bob i said i've got a twenty-two thousand dollar payroll this friday and no money in the bank and uh, things are are pretty bleak and it's just like he didn't even listen to me he said oh that's that's terrible i'm doing great i'm in the mortgage business i said you you didn't hear what i just said i'm at the end of my rope and, and you're telling me you're doing great and he said yeah he said uh i'm working in subprime mortgage lending and uh, I thought of you, and our company's going to open up in Tennessee. I said, oh, that's fantastic. Who do I call? Yeah. He said, call about what? I said, about the job. He said, what job? I said, <laughs> you're, This is a little true story. I said, you're going to open in Tennessee. I live in Tennessee. You're telling me how well you're doing. I want to do this too. Whatever you're doing, I want to do it. He said, well, well, you don't know anything about it. So, well, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. And then the longer we talked. <laughs> and he finally at one point he said well you know what he said this is just like sub this is just like auto finance but it's different collateral Mm -hmm. he said you were a great f&i manager you you got people who probably didn't deserve a car loan (laughs) you got them a car loan because you would manipulate the (laughs) the bankers and and, you know and just talk them into stretching to make the deal you know that's what you have to do sometimes you just you'll work your underwriter and uh he said, "You you probably could do this," and he said, "We just it's houses, not cars." I said, "That's super." Put me in touch. So he put me in touch with the uh, president of the company, and it took about three months to finally get that guy pinned down and get an interview. But he hired me on the spot with no experience in the business, wow. and I opened Tennessee as the uh, regional manager wow. in a subprime. And, and he said, "Your job wow. is to go out, cultivate business, and then start hiring account executives." And uh, three years later, I had Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana in my region, wow. and had 19 account executives working under me, and five processors handling the loan volume, and we were kicking, you know what, taking names. Seriously. It was the good times. <laughs> wow!
1: Tell us what it really means to be a loan originator.
2: Well, I think I, I mentioned uh, in the questionnaire thing we did. It's you're kind of the Sherpa. You're you're there to I work with a lot of first time buyers and they're just, they're literally scared to death. Um, Don't you
1: think those are the fun ones though? Oh, they're the best because they appreciate you. <laughs> I agree. Oh,
2: I get the nicest <laughs> referrals and the nicest. Uh, Follow-up, we do a you know, customer satisfaction, Google-type survey thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first-time buyers always say the nicest things. Um, mm-hmm. The guy who's bought and sold lots of houses, he either doesn't fill it out or says something snarky. <laughs> Nobody in particular. Yeah, no, I'm not going to call names. Uh, but no, I, I love working with the first-time buyers uh, because they are uh, the green peas and they need reassurance. Uh, they, they love to ask, are you gonna need anything else? Is that all we need? <laughs> it won't be all we need until I tell you you're at the closing table. There's always gonna be something that we're gonna need last minute. You know, just, no, just, but be calm. You know, that's what I just tell them all the time. Just be calm. If there's ever a need to panic, let me do the panicking because, you know, it's not gonna get us anywhere anyway. You know, right. just relax. And uh, so, uh, but as far as, that's just on the psychological or, or just keeping them uh, kind of calmed down. But what a loan originator does is, you know, meets with the customer, gathers the documentation, reviews the documentation, um, determines a budget. Uh, and I'm probably cautious to a fault. Cause I don't want to put young people or anybody, but young people especially, but, you know, they, they get their idea of what they can afford then there's what you can really afford <laughs> right <laughs> and even though we could stretch and get you into what you think you really want to buy let's not do that because uh, being house poor is the worst thing you can be where all you can do is just get by make your mortgage payment make your car payment make your insurance payment and then that's it you got very little money left at, at the end of all that and that's no way to live and that's what I try to counsel and tell them uh, guys let's uh I know the the ratios say you can can spend you know 30% on the house and up to 44% on total back-end debt ratio. That's all your bills combined. But here's what that really looks like in, in real life. This is how much actual money you're gonna have at the end of all that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, $600, yeah, yeah, that's all you're gonna have at your income level. And so let's back down from that. Let's not buy that $280,000 house. Let's try to find the $220,000 house and and give you a little more room to to operate on so
1: well, and the house is not going to be perfect 100 percent the way they want it so they're going to want to put money into it anyway you,
2: there's that yeah you going to want to do uh, maybe carpet is is pricey but you know that means that really helps painting sometimes they can paint it themselves and and that brightens it up and makes it you know more their stamp of of who they are uh, but yeah you just don't want to spend every dime you've got out of your savings for the down payment mm-hmm. and you don't want to stretch on your monthly budget and that's what i try to tell them
1: real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals reach out to mike brady at propertyrecycle.com they are a large private equity firm with that personal touch property recycle offers an easy online application no appraisal requirements and can close within five days Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615-806-7500. Or visit PropertyRecycle.com.
0: Visit our friend Bradley T. Bald, licensed attorney at the Roe Title and Escrow LLC, where he counsels and facilitates clients in various commercial and residential transactions. In addition to his real estate practice, Bradley is an attorney for Keller, Turner, Ruth, Andrews, and Gannon PLLC in the firm's sports, entertainment, and corporate practice. Bradley is also a Rule 31 mediator in the state of Tennessee. Again, that's Bradley T. Bald at the Rowe Title and Escrow. Give him a call speaking of budgets how are student loans affecting what you do now oh man
2: I, I see it keep a lot of people from buying uh, it, it's a big issue uh, and i don't know what the solution is uh, you borrowed the money you should have been eyes wide open when you took out the loan it, it is a loan it was not a grant it's not a forgivable now there are some of those programs where if you go and teach in an underprivileged area you'll get forgiveness on your debt i think that's a great program uh, and think they've got some stuff for first responders where they can do that go to some of these rural counties and work a few years and get a lot of their debt forgiven Uh, that's fine but but in general it it was all money you took out to go to college to hopefully better yourself in life so money has to pay it
1: so if if it's a person that is doing one of those um, jobs to get their loan forgiven does that go against them when buying a house? You know,
2: that's, uh, I, you know what? That's a good question. I uh, haven't, I've not seen that lately. Uh, but it seems like, yeah, if uh, if you can document through uh, whoever the lender was that made the student loan that they're in the uh, in the repayment program through work. Development, whatever they call it, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it seems like it would.
1: It's something you can at least take to the underwriter and try oh, yeah. to work with. Yeah,
2: absolutely. That's good to absolutely.
1: Know. I had a client I was showing a house to uh, the other day, and they had a question of why they have to pay PMI.
2: Oh, that's a, yeah, that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the simple, snarky answer to that <laughs> is because you're not putting twenty percent down. Yeah. You know, that that's just it. Um, but I, I literally tell people PMI is is a ripoff. Mm-hmm. It does you absolutely zero good. Um somebody will say, Well, I was told if I get hurt and I can't work it'll make my payment. No, that's AFLAC. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's that's not your PMI provider. Uh, PMI is strictly there to protect your lender. Mm-hmm. In the event you default and the property goes into foreclosure, uh, the lender will have some protection against their losses, but it doesn't do you any good at all. And, and that's just the ugly truth, it's a fact. Um, the only way around it is to put 20% down. Um, the other way around it would be if you had you know, 10% that you could put down and you had conventional style credit. Uh, You might get a 10% HELOC or second mortgage to close that 10% gap and do an 80-10 with 10% owned funds. That will keep you out of um, the PMI. But if you do an FHA loan, you're going to have PMI, and theoretically it's on there for the life of the loan. And that's a lot of money.
1: Does it change if the loan's refinanced after you've paid down 20%?
2: Well, if you refinance and you then get an appraisal and you've got the equity to where you're at the 20% or below, then yeah, there is no PMI on that next loan.
1: Thank you, because I'm sure yeah. that is, like you said, a question a lot of people have. Oh, it so. is,
2: it's it's a big, big question. Uh, now on a conventional loan, uh, theoretically, uh, when you do pay it down to 78% of the original balance, the PMI will drop. Um, okay. But it's not a bad idea to keep an eye on that and to petition your mortgage company to make sure they're aware that it's supposed right. to drop because they may not drop it because it's part of the escrows and they're not
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, they're not as concerned with watching your money as, as you are. You know? Right. So, um, but it's just not a guarantee that they're going to call you up and say, oh, congratulations, you now have equity. <laughs> no. <laughs> they will call you up and say, we'd like to refinance you. They'll wear you out for that. But... You know.
1: But they may not tell you the benefits of refinancing, Well, right? they better.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they're better, be- hey, and these days there has to be a benefit. I mean, we, mm-hmm. our company, well, there's a special form that I have to fill out. If it is a refinance, exactly you know what the purpose is, if it's cash out, what's it for, uh, what was the rate that they had, what's the new rate. We always like to see it lower, but it, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Because I had a fellow the other day who... Uh, who bought his house about five years ago and did a USDA loan. It was over in Dixon County and he has gotten himself in a little hot water with the IRS and he needed to refi and his score wasn't the greatest. I couldn't go conventional. I had to take him FHA. So now he's entering into a loan with PMI and the rate is slightly higher than he had from five years ago. So on surface, he has a bigger payment, higher interest rate you would say, well, that, what good did you do it? Well, I got him the $22,000 that he owed the IRS, which yeah. was gonna keep a lien from being placed on his house. And wow. lifestyle changes when they started garnishing his wages. So was there a benefit to the borrower or well, a heck yes? Uh, but I had to put all that on paper so the underwriter could see, okay, well, there's a good reason to do this loan, raising someone's payment, giving them the money to solve a big problem. You know, that made sense, but. Uh, if, if it had just been he wants to go buy a boat, yeah, we probably still would have done it, but that, that's not a, a life event, you know, you, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting square with the IRS was something he really needed to do. So. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that's nothing you mess with.
0: <laughs> we deal with a lot of uh, investors mm-hmm. and people that um, work on subject to clauses and wanted to know if you have any opinion on the likelihood of a bank calling back a loan when the name on the title <laughs> changes. You
2: know, that, uh, that comes up all the time. That's a big topic of discussion in the investor groups that, that mm-hmm. we all attend. Uh, it's certainly within their rights to, do, to call that note. It, the paperwork that they signed when they borrowed the money says that if you do that, you, you could have your note called, I mean it's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell me it's very rare that it happens. Uh, I don't have any real anecdotal evidence either way because number one, I've never participated in doing something like that. Um, nor have I ever changed title on a property that I owned just oh, to, yeah. you know, I, so I don't know. Uh, but it, yeah, it's by letter of law it can be done. They can call
0: that loan, that not doing payable. Is it more likely if it's a rising interest rate environment for them to want to? You know, I, I, get that I would rate?
2: I would say it's probably more likely if the note is not being paid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. If, yeah. The if check doesn't Done the little up. shenanigans, and the person that is supposed to be taking over and making that payment gets a little delinquent, and and mm-hmm. raise, just it has to there has to be a reason somebody finds out about it. Mm-hmm. what's going on over there. I don't think they have time or the, the person power to go through records just to see, that would be over, can you imagine? Yeah. You know, so there has to be a trigger, and that would be you're delinquent, or you, uh, I guess maybe if you blatantly just send a copy of a request to mail my statement <laughs> to this other address, and, and oh, and by the way, don't make it to me, make it, you know, Joe Smith, at this other address is now going to make my mortgage payment well that might trigger it but uh, yeah i literally never heard of it happening but it can
1: so i know your slogan oh here we go it's putting the fun back in funding well, that's,
2: what, that's what, all right are we having fun we are I having fun. Well, well, there you, right. you go yes. <laughs> well,
1: there's no better way to spend an afternoon right that, absolutely
2: once once i found this place <laughs>
1: We like to make it confusing to get here, but then, you know, we give you wine. Well, hey, sir,
2: Suri did her best. She got me, or Siri, they tell me. They tell me I say that wrong. It's just Siri. And I was like, well, I don't know about that because it's S-I-R, and I always pronounce that as Sir. That's right. And then you just put an I on Sir, and that's Surrey. I have been known to pronounce it wrong, yeah. too. Well, no, I, I, I say the other people are wrong. <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway. Siri should be a Y.
2: Yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. siri
0: yeah. No,
1: we've convinced Wyatt.
2: <laughs> so anyway, well, we sold it. I it am on easy. it. Uh, what was yeah. the question? Oh, fun back in funding. So tell us uh, about
1: your daily fun and how you put the oh, fun back in funding. You know, that
2: all goes back to, uh, basically to, like we're talking about working with the first-time buyers or or anybody, let's take some of the mystery out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, communication, I, I try to keep my customers totally uh, up to speed and abreast of you know, where we are in the process. I mm-hmm. uh, don't like them, I don't like those calls, and, and you're gonna get them no matter what you do, no matter how good you think your communication is, uh, you're gonna get the text or the email, and occasionally the phone call, the young people don't ever call, by the way. No, they They'll, they'll text they will you. Text <laughs> you. <laughs> or email you. Need <laughs> anything else? When are we going to close? Where are we now?
1: Yeah. <laughs> this totally relates back to our millennial podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, uh, you know, I, I try just to, to keep, keep it light, keep it upbeat. Uh, try never to, uh, I don't ever want to overpromise and under, under deliver. Uh, that's the worst. Um, just shoot straight, keep it simple, keep it honest, and, uh, and it usually works out. last thing I ever want to do is if I'm gonna have to turn somebody down I want to turn them down like the first minute Mm -hmm. (laughs) not not the last minute right it it just goes over better if they haven't paid $400 for an appraisal and $350 for a home inspection and maybe they had to pay for the termite maybe they've shelled out for this or that and then all of a sudden you're saying oh by the way now does that mean it can't happen it's kind of yeah, like that calling nice. that note doing payable. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. Property might not appraise.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you might lose your job. I've had people lose their job, literally, and we call the day before closing. And uh, I've had people change jobs. And I'll tell them, do not change jobs. Make no changes in your life. Do not go shopping. <laughs> do not take out any credit. You know, do, do not change, alter anything about your credit profile. They go out and buy a car, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, and we pull credit. The day before closing, we call and verify employment. And then you say, well, what was this? You know, it hasn't showed up as a loan yet, but XYZ Automotive pulls your credit. What happened there? <laughs> well, you got two choices. You can lie mm-hmm. and commit loan fraud.
3: <laughs>
2: this is not a good idea. No. Or tell the truth. Yeah, I got a car with my payments only $400 a month. Well, guess what? That just blew your debt ratio up and you're not getting this house. So I am real, I can't overemphasize with anybody buying a property, you know, just don't just chill. Don't, and, and I love it when they'll, they'll text me or email me and say, Can we go get a refrigerator? No, <laughs> not yet. But it Lowe's counts. offered us, Lowe's offered, if we open a Lowe's card, we get a, no, oh, no. do not do that. <laughs> Wait until you have the keys to the house.
1: So, just to add to that on how serious it is, uh, the story that the parks trainers always tell us is there was a girl that was purchasing a property. She took a flight and she didn't have the her debit card or something on her. She put a $25 check bag on a credit card she had never used or like used in a while. And that $25 like she was supposed to close a week later or so and it showed up as a, now a twenty five dollar a month payment, which would have put her over. Oh my gosh. So they had to go and find oh. a cheaper homeowner's insurance for that twenty five dollars and or or the percentage the that, amount yeah, that, that would send say. her yeah. over. Yeah, Which was, I'm sure, crazy. less than 25. Yeah. But that's the only way they were able to close, and they found that out the morning of closing. So they had to do that within a couple of hours mm. in order to close. So it is so serious. Yeah, it's, what you're talking it's serious about serious
2: business. Yeah, you, know, you don't uh, you don't apply for credit. You don't you know go buy stuff. If you do have the credit cards, but you've got your minimum payment is you know you don't go run that card up, and all of a sudden that minimum payment goes up, you're in the mm-hmm. same situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know you you've blown your debt ratio up. Potentially, now, not everybody, but it's just better to just take the chill pill, not not do anything until you've got the keys.
0: You mentioned that you try not to let people get house poor. Mm-hmm. What's a good example of someone where it, like, you learned that lesson and you go, Oh I've lived it."
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you take. Uh, yeah, $3,300 a month house payment when you're making 12 grand a month, and then all of a sudden you've got a $3,300 house payment and you're making 4,000 a month, you, you're house poor. Mm-hmm. you know. And uh, times change, folks. Uh, the good times are great, but don't set your standard of living based on your best year. You yeah. set it on your, maybe not necessarily your worst year, but somewhere in between, that's where you wanna set your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unless you're just born into a lot of money and wealth, and, and b- rules don't apply. But for the rest of us, <laughs> for the rest of us here in the real world, um, leave a cushion. Goodness gracious, don't uh, mm-hmm. don't live at the top end of your uh, spectrum. It's, it's always a nice, happy medium. Mm-hmm.
3: You know,
2: you might want a brand new BMW, but what's wrong with a three-year-old BMW? Mm-hmm. Except I wouldn't want it. Depends I wouldn't on. want it at all. But. Yeah, but okay. it depends on how much maintenance it needs. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. But it, that applies thing. to any car. I just said, you know, uh, I used to be the new co- the new car guy every three years. I mean, I was mm-hmm. raised that way. Mm-hmm. My dad got a new car every so three dad, years. Yeah. Huh? And I did that for years and years. Mm-hmm. Just, what's wrong with your other? Oh, God, I'm like, it's got almost 40,000 miles on it. <laughs> so, so well, it's about, it's wore out. I got to get a new one. that's what I would do and sometimes I'd lease sometimes I would buy Uh, then went through the the Great Recession and got a reality check and the car I'm driving now has 103,000 miles on it I bought it it had 30,000 miles on it and I'm okay with that well my wife's vehicle has 88,000 miles on it we bought it with 70,000 miles on it it's a nice vehicle but I wasn't gonna pay the the cost of a new one of the same car I'll let somebody else take that hit right yeah let, let them drive it off the lot and take that 30% depreciation I used to be that guy I won't be that guy anymore <laughs> just Ramsey has some good things okay yeah Dave Ramsey has some good advice some of it is kind of hokey but a lot of it is very true you know just be smart with your money
0: McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services is the premier insurance and financial services agency, locally owned and operated, having locations in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Their company works with only the most reputable insurance companies to give you the best coverage for your needs. Call 901 451 3811. Again, that's 901 451 3811 for McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services. In the South, their roots run deep, giving First Bank the strength to keep branching out, reaching high. First Bank's history of success is grounded in their fresh approach to banking that is more local, more accessible, and more empowering. Which is why switching to First Bank feels like a breath of fresh air. Locally underwritten, contact Tyler Allen, your local commercial lender, today at 615-390-3592. NMLS number 979-885. Net Worth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market.
1: Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods.
0: That's Net Worth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. We hear so much about rates in the industry, yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's a, a number that everyone goes, "Oh, I feel like it's so and so points and percentages and whatnot." Can you explain how that relates to like where does that number come from? <laughs> I think you'll notice on your notes. or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Way to read the there's notes. It's like a Wyatt. whole paragraph, and he just says, "No, there's like, uh, well, if I you no think idea. about." <laughs> <laughs>
2: A good guidepost, if you just want to... I mean, you've got to follow the Fannie Mae bond. It it gets real technical.
0: Okay. Um, And that's government
2: bond. Yeah. Well, that's... No, that's the Fannie Mae. That's the mortgage bonds. Okay. Mortgage-backed securities. Okay. It's what are they trading for and and what's the value there. But what most people do is they'll just watch the 10-year treasury note. Uh, That's a... As a rule, the Fannie Mae and the 10-year treasury kind of move in lockstep. But there are times that they can move opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, mortgage rates may go up while the, the Treasury note is going down, but as a rule, they're gonna be fairly close. So all your financial networks and everything, they, they always give you, you know, what's the Dow Jones doing? What's the NASDAQ doing? What's the S&P doing? And what's the 10-year, you know, the, if you watch CNBC or any mm-hmm. they put on there the two-year note, 30-year note, and the 10-year.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, 10-year's kind of the benchmark. So if you watch the 10-year uh, the today, I think, opened up this morning on uh, news, uh, Mario Draghi had uh, had, said whatever it was he said, that uh, was favor- was more or less sort of devalue the European Union money. Oh. Um, China devalues everything. And so our mortgage, our 10-year treasury, lost some ground. And as a result, today, mortgage rates have gotten marginally better. Okay, so it, you can follow the 10-year treasury and have a fairly good idea where where the mortgage money is going to be. But uh, as far as to peg it exactly, I really can't tell you. And I've been doing this 24 years. But it's just you know, one of those great mysteries of life. But, you know, I subscribe to an app that just, I'll get announcements throughout the day, and they'll say, you know, uh, and the, when the bond is up mm-hmm. the yield is down, uh, bond is, price is up, mortgage rates are better. It goes invert, opposite of one another. So uh, when we lose ground, that's worse for rates. When we're gaining ground, that's better for rates. Some people think we're gonna go back really low, low on rates. I don't know. personally, I have no way I know Uh, I'll be watching. (laughs) You know, uh, because we were doing some 30 years, uh, 30 year fixed at three and a half, not long ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, then we went up as high as four and a half Hmm. in the last seven months and right now we're back uh, high threes low fours
3: so Hmm. it's
2: once again a good time to anybody who's listening good time to buy a house (laughs) jennifer love to help you yeah i second what he
1: says yeah
2: (laughs) i'll help you too (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) good teamwork here so to kind of add to what you were talking about but um go a little different direction, what kind of trends do you see in the industry?
2: Trends I see, well, I, th- I think we are entering a possibility of, of another round of really low rates. A lot depends on, uh, so much depends on what happens with China. Mm-hmm. Um, the president today uh, said that he expected to cut a deal at the G20 summit. Last I looked before I got here, you know, the stock market was up over 350 points earlier mm-hmm. today just off of the tweet that he thinks they'll make a deal with China. Uh, and mortgage rates, which had started the day off kinda moving favorably, well, they reversed course a little bit. They said, oh, wait, we're, we're, maybe we don't need to go down. Uh, a lot depends on what the Federal Reserve does. They're, uh, they were meeting today. I don't think they're gonna lower the uh, interbank rate, uh, but they probably will in July. Uh, some people think we're going into a recession. If we go into a recession, Fed has to lower interest rates. The mortgage rates will probably follow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, long, I mean, that's about, in this business, a month is about as long-term as you can really forecast, because it is so volatile. It's right. so world event. I mean, we could be in war with Iran any minute. Mm-hmm. That happens, rates will tank. Mortgage rates will tank, because the economy, you know, stock market will tank. It'll, things, everybody will get scared. When people get scared, they run to buy government treasuries mm-hmm. and concurrently mortgages, rates fall. So.
1: I know you discussed earlier with millennials and, and the texting and mm-hmm. emailing versus... Um, well, it
2: really it's texting. They don't like to email. Right. I have to t- you know, what is your email? The one your mom set up for you.
1: <laughs> I do know millennials without
2: emails, yes.
1: Because
3: <laughs> um, so.
2: there are certain things we have to email you they are going to have to print. Print. Yes, you're going to have to get it to a printer. <laughs> print this stuff out and sign it <laughs> sign it <laughs> you know, i have, a guy. Oh, well, right, I have right. a guy recently he kept sending in his doc. i would send him something he would boom sign it and it would come right back i'm like wow this guy's amazing i don't know he prints it and signs it that fast <laughs> and then i would go to print it and the signature was gone <laughs> and i'm going in to the people in my office well oh, i keep sending this guy these documents and he sends them back and there's no signature but i see it on my screen it's right there, but it doesn't print out. Then they showed me, well, you have to go, there's a icon, you drop down and you print all what did he say? he was doing a sign with an app. Oh. He had an app he could sign my docs, yeah. but they would come back, but the doc, because it wasn't on my doc until I printed it and I had to yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> old dog new trick. Here we go. <laughs> and I told him, I said, You are about the slickest little guy and he's way out in the country. He was a little like a little hillbilly guy. <laughs> I can say that because I'm a little hillbilly. Uh, I was like, how did you know that? He goes, well, everybody knows about that. That's just, you know, something, a sign thing. And I, said, I learned so, something new. I said, you're just yeah. signing that with your fingers when I send you these docs. Said, uh-huh. Larry,
0: thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. This has been a production of Corkscrews and Contracts,
1: podcast copyright 2019.